I'm Arthur Falls, and this time on the Internet Computer Weekly, I'm joined by Matt Grogan of OpenChat. Thanks for joining me, Matt. It's a pleasure. Yeah, how about we start with an introduction? Okay, so I'm Matt Grogan. I've been a software developer for, I don't know, about 27 years. Until the last year or so, I haven't really been in the crypto industry. The reason I've kind of got into this position is because I've got a long-standing connection with Dom. I joined a startup of his around 2000 called Smart Drives, which, which is like, you know, typical Dom is very ambitious. It was like a better version of Dropbox before Dropbox existed. Anyway, Dom's always been just an incredible driven entrepreneur and a genius, really. But we had, and I was sort of kind of along for the ride as software engineer, and we had a sort of series of startup companies, ventures. I have a whole, yeah, really interesting story in themselves, but probably not time to go into that now. Anyway, so about a year ago, he, well, a bit more than a year ago, he approached me to see if I wanted to build apps for the internet computer as a contractor to Dfinity. And yeah, it was a great opportunity, really interesting. And uh, left an online travel agency where I was working with Hamish, who's my co-founder, managed to persuade him to leave as well. And yeah, we jumped ship and joined Dfinity as contractors. We don't really have time to go into this now, but I would be interested in hearing a little bit about some of Dom's earlier work. Sure thing. Okay, first of all, smart drives then. When we joined, it was you know, a fair bit of the software had been written. So Dom himself was writing it and a team of offshore engineers based in Russia. It was a sort of versioned file system on top of Windows. It was kind of deeply integrated Windows. It could be synced with remote drives and it performed incredibly well even over like a slow mobile internet connection and it was and the mobile internet connections were very slow in those days gsm and then just beginning to get gprs and it was basically used a sort of version file system sort of you would only ever need to send differences between client and server so you, you wouldn't need to send the full file if only a you know a part of it had changed I mean, that sounds quite simplistic. There's a lot more to it than that, but it was a pretty cool piece of software. It's probably a little bit too complicated in the end. But, you know, that came to an end. I think it was kind of ran out of money in the end. Uh, it sort of grew a bit too... Well, yeah, the salary demands grew quicker than the product in the end. But we spun it off into a product called AirDocs, which was kind of a simpler version of smart drives, but also extremely cool. It was basically sort of... It was a client-server app. It appeared like Windows Explorer, but it had this concept of a network neighborhood where you could, um, you know, you could see your local drives, but you could also see remote drives and sort of, you know, just move files around using this in the normal way. You could kind of use heuristics to sort of work out if there was file data, which was likely to be the same on the client and on the server. And if there was, then it wouldn't need to send it again. And it uses a sort of clever system of hashing. So it would sort of hash blocks of date file data at different granularities. And if the hash is matched on any block of data, then it wouldn't need to send it again. And then it also did stuff like it completely maxed out, if you have details. But anyway, it was a very cool product. We actually sold a 50,000 seat license to DFID, which is the UK Department for International Development, which is kind of a highlight. <laughs> but um, it's kind of a story here. We could have pursued that, but I guess it was kind of not, Dom is, you know, just, want something extremely successful and i guess it wasn't quite moving quick enough for him 
And the, the lead time was quite, you know, it took like a year to make a big sale. And so, you know, even though it was a sort of viable product, it kind of, yeah, we petered out and we moved on to the next thing. <laughs> There's a thing called Rocket Pass that didn't go that far. It's a kind of a micropayments plugin for websites. We still really don't have micropayments. You know, and this is 20 years later. You know, there's the vision that, say you're reading some publication, you know, reading, I don't know, the New York Times or the Times in the UK, and as it stands, you have to pay a subscription to read content. Whereas if instead you could just pay like a penny or a few pennies, a few cents to read an article, and it was, you know, there wasn't sort of a big transaction cost, and it was just a seamless sort of easy way to do it, then that, I imagine, many people would go for that. Anyway, that was kind of the vision. Interesting to hear that he did have some micropayments experience prior to Pebble, which was his first foray into the blockchain space. Yeah, he's been very interested in micropayments, that's for sure. And so you worked with him on Fight My Monster too, right? Yeah, that's right. So there's several companies in between, but yeah, we also built Fight My Monster. Because that's the famous one. That's the one that everyone loves to hear about is Fight My Monster. I'm not sure how much he likes people talking about it, though. Well, I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was really successful up to a point. There was a shareholder who got a bit too much control, and that kind of upset the boat a bit. In the end, there's a bit of shareholder infighting that kind of stopped it, <laughs> which is a shame. But um, I mean, it was, again, I mean, personally, myself included, but you know, sort of, I guess, of Dom's sort of evolution, how did he become the person that built, signed and built into the computer? Well, there was a lot of stuff he built for Fight My Monster, a lot of experience he gained from Fight My Monster, sort of building this massively scalable multiplayer online game. He built this sort of messaging system called Starburst, this incredibly performant messaging system, which pushed messages out to all the Fight My Monster clients. And it was backed by this sort of distributed database called Cassandra. So, yeah, there was a lot of cool technical stuff going on. And it was, yeah, a lot of fun to work on. And it's kind of reminiscent, I guess, the NFTs, there's some monster NFTs you see around. <laughs> kind of, I bet we're going to see something similar where these sort of NFT monsters are going to be fighting each other. And it's kind of, it seems to be going full circle. I was wondering exactly that. Yeah. So this guy, one of the sort of the artists, brilliant artist, Jonathan Ball, who's um, actually done quite a bit of the Definity or Internet Computer artwork. I don't know if you've seen them. He's got these sort of robot NFTs. Have you seen them? They're kind of incredibly, like they stand out. In, oh, I've seen them, yeah. <laughs> beautifully rendered. Yeah, he did the artwork for Monster. There were like different classes of Monster and you had to, you know, there were millions of different variations there were about 10 different classes, but then each of them had different sort of body parts. And, you know, you'd have lots, I don't know, 10 different core bodies for each type of monster and then 10 different leg parts and arm parts and things they would hold. And, and you'd then sort of combine them in a sort of multiplicity of, <laughs> to create unique monsters. That's fun. It's funny. If, I believe that if they do turn John's robot NFTs into a Fight My Monster game, that could be the thing that awakens the world to the internet computer, purely because when I speak to people, they don't get it. And in spite of the fact that I actually know for a fact that they understand every single piece of the platform, and the reason that they don't get it, I believe, is that they just cannot internalize the idea of a blockchain-type computing platform with this level of performance and these kind of features. 
But when they see a game running on it, I feel like that will be the thing that sets the cogs turning. And we do have some games, most of them coming out of Tonic Labs, Chronix and Rise of the Magni. But seeing something graphically capable and with a bunch of marketing dollars behind it, which I have no doubt John Ball's NFTs would be able to amass, I think that could be the critical explanatory piece. Yeah, I mean, there are so many apps and games and, you know, it's great sort of, I not say the Wild West, but it's great sort of opportunity for, um, I mean, there's so many things I'd like to be involved in, but you just get stretched too thin. So, you know, we've got our work cut out building open chat, really. So. so turning this to open chat, you guys kind of have this dual remit, right? Like you're building a product from sort of within, sort of outside the Definity Foundation. And I feel like you must have some kind of remit to help develop the internet computer itself. Am I on the right ambiguous track? Yeah, I guess it has kind of evolved a bit over time. And we started with a really, you know, there wasn't a specific app that we were to build. Dom just had a notion that, you know, he wanted to sort of, you know, just show examples of apps being built on the internet computer. And he didn't have anything specific in mind. He had a few ideas. But in the end, we thought, you know, a chat app would be a great app to build for various reasons, which I can come on to. But I suppose in addition to that, we were to sort of provide feedback on the sort of developer experience, on the SDK, on the documentation, just generally what it's like to build apps on the internet computer. But I guess that part of the remit's kind of changed because we're, you know, sort of quite a long way beyond that stage of looking at the sort of documentation and, and the SDK. And I guess that's kind of changed into open chat's kind of pushing boundaries in certain ways. We're particular V2, which is, you know, with a vision to be massively scalable with a canister per user and a canister per group. And this is sort of pushing the internet computer. And there's all sorts of sort of features and sort of capabilities that we really want from the internet computer. You know, many of which are already in the sort of pipeline, some of which aren't, some of which are kind of our ideas. And, you know, either way, we're kind of, because we're somewhat internal, we get to discuss these ideas with the sort of development teams within Definity and try and sort of advocate the features and capabilities that we want and try and get them raised up the priority list. So, yeah, sometimes we get called upon to work on some other stuff. So we worked on the sort of back end of the, NNS DAP and on the front end of the sort of upcoming people's parties. But generally, we're left alone on, on working on open chat. We've got complete sort of creative freedom to build open chat. It's you know, all our own. Ultimately, the idea is, well, ultimately, but a step coming not too distant future, because I think John's quite bullish about when the SNS is going to be available. At that point, we hope open chat will become one of the first sort of true DAPs realized using the SNS. And it will kind of be, you know, we'll break from sort of apron strings of Definity at that point and sort of go it alone. Well, I say go it alone in a sort of decentralized organization, go it alone with the rest of the world. How does that work with the SNS? Because we've heard about this a whole bunch, but honestly, I've heard people talk about it. I've read what Dom's written about it, but I haven't heard someone speak about it who's actually intending to use it. I mean, I probably don't know a huge amount more than you. I can have a go at describing it. I mean, it's, I say, I don't know if I can give you any particular insights here. As I see it, it's going to be like the NNS. Changes to open chat 
will only be possible through proposal on the SNS. There'll be an open chat token, and there's a sort of auction process. We'll be able to sort of auction open chat tokens to sort of raise an endowment for open chat development going forward. We'll be able to sort of use use these tokens to sort of tokenize open chat and hopefully sort of drive viral growth through sort of token incentives. So the idea is to raise funds through it, though. Yes, I mean, that, that's not the only option, but I think that would be, yeah, that would be the ideal scenario, is that you can, indeed we would raise funds through the SNS, exactly. I suppose, and for a chat app like OpenChat, that's an ideal governance and funding mechanism that decentralizes, at least in theory, control and ownership of the platform, if ownership is a term that can be applied, and prevents you from having any central party that can snoop in or adversely influence the application itself. Well, that's it. So, you know, so a precursor to running open chat on the SNS would be to, um, you know, we'll open source open chat and the software running on any canister will be tied back to a particular commit in GitHub and it'll be provable. We'll be able to provably see that this software is running at the moment on any given canister. And then it'll be completely transparent. Any changes to open chat would have to be by proposal, you know, successful proposal. And so, you know, you can have pretty strong guarantees that this app isn't going to evolve in a way that, well, it's, <laughs> this is a slightly interesting point, actually. You could hope that it would mean that, okay, OpenChat's never going to release data or sell the users' data because the community would never vote for it. But I suppose you could imagine a bit in a perverse scenario where the community of OpenChat tokens did want to, <laughs> token holders did want to sell user data to make sort of for financial gain. But I mean, I think it's very unlikely. And this is why the sort of you know, goal for any decentralized app is to really spread far and wide the tokens so that, you know, sort of global community is represented as best possible rather than being in the hands of just a sort of minority of people. Profit-motivated individuals in particular. Yeah. So why did you choose chat? I mean, chat is such a core application everyone needs and uses. It would inevitably be built on the internet computer one way or another. <laughs> we wanted to be the ones to do it. We knew it could showcase the performance characteristics of the internet computer. You wouldn't necessarily, you know, if you have some experience in the crypto industry, you, you'd think it would be very difficult to build like a snappy sort of responsive chat application on a blockchain-based computer. You know, we sort of knew going into it that we'd be able to do that. We kind of had a free reign to build anything, anything we could think of, really. I mean, Dom had some ideas around building some, you know, version of Amazon or, you know, sort of tokenized shopping thing where sort of drivers would be incentivized with tokens to deliver and or like an open uber type thing but um we're just a team of two we felt that a working chat app seemed like a to get a sort of chat app going relatively quickly seemed like an achievable goal it turns out chat how hard can it be is actually really quite challenging some of the interactions there's a really interesting story around you know there's the privacy of user data which we just touched upon there some of the guy ideas of self-sovereign identity which can only really be addressed by a decentralized system. So, you know, like obviously, the likes of WhatsApp being owned by Facebook and 
you know, quite famously changed the terms of service. So that was really interesting for us. Then there's the sort of whole, you know, so beyond the chat app, what, you know, chat app plus, if you like, we had this idea from the beginning that you'd be able to ultimately be able to send tokens like cycles and ICP as chat messages. In fact, as I noticed recently that Telegram are offering something similar now. I think there's some sort of virtual money thing that they've integrated with. You might think it's like a complete unachievable, you know, how can you possibly compete with WhatsApp with such a massive market share? And it would be challenging, but there's the potential, again, to use tokenization to sort of drive growth. So there is a realistic prospect to actually sort of reach massive sort of user numbers if we do it right. Especially being genuinely decentralized in ownership control and being able to automatically verify the software that you're running. And access from anywhere as well. That's the other really cool thing because one of the issues with, say, Signal is I constantly have to set it up on new devices. I need to connect new devices. The idea that you could just plug in your YubiKey and log in or use whatever other login token that you want to use, maybe the plug wallet or use the Enclave on your phone. Having all of these options and these ways to access it, I think, is a massive differentiator as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a sort of web-first approach, which sort of means it's kind of usable anyway. But it, I guess it differs from likes of Signal and WhatsApp, which you know all the sort of messages are stored on your phone, whereas in the case of Open Chat, the messages are held you know securely in canisters, so they are accessible from anywhere. So if you have a new device, you can just immediately access your messages, and it also allows you to search your messages, you know, your whole message history which you can only do on the likes of WhatsApp or whatever, on device. So if you move devices, you kind of can no longer find these messages. When I first got into crypto, I started off by sending Joe Lubin a message on Skype. <laughs> All right. Sent him a message saying, hey, man, I see you're advertising for an office assistant. I've never been in an office before, but I'm sure I can be in an office assistant. It can't be that hard. <laughs> and if you pay me really well and sponsor my podcast, I'm sure it'll be in everyone's interest. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, the conversation went from there. But I went back and I saw that Skype had deleted my message history. And it was one of the most hilarious and fateful exchanges of my entire life, just deleted without notification. And without any actual policy of message deletion that I was aware of, and no reason for doing so. Like, how much data did they save? All right, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah. But oh well, that's Skype for you. <laughs> so, in the process of developing or preparing for launch version two of OpenChat, and version one is fantastic, it's extremely mature. Why the change? So, a couple of reasons. So, OpenChat is. The V1, if you like, was always a sort of temporary measure. And we've always said it's kind of test mode because it's built on essentially one canister. Well, it's three canisters, but it's all the chats are held on one canister. And so that can only scale so far. And we've actually scaled beyond where we thought we'd, we'd be able to. So we started off, in fact, I started off conservatively thinking we'd limit users to 1,000. And Dom said, oh, no, let's try it. Let's go for 10,000. Um, and then now we're at, we've limited it to 100,000. And it's sort of, still going quite nicely. So you've got users who have sent 100,000 messages? No, sorry, that's 100,000 user limit. Oh, okay. We've got to kept raising the user limit up to a point of 100,000, which is as far as we're going to raise it on V1, because we've found that you, know, you could handle that capacity at each stage. We're currently at about 70, 
7,000 users and they've sent about 550,000 messages. But basically, we haven't really been developing V1 very much since, since launch. We've you know, made some bug fixes and added a few features. The most significant feature probably is web push, which was eventually possible through a sort of change in the boundary nodes on the computer, which allowed us to register a second service worker and register and receive web push notifications. And that's absolutely essential, really, for a chat app. So until that point, you had to be online, really. You had to be on the chat app to sort of see messages coming in. Whereas now you can be, you know, your app can be closed, your website can be closed, and you'll receive notifications that you've got new messages. And that seems to have, it actually makes a useful chat app. I think until then, we'd had about 100,000 messages over five months, and we've had about another 450,000 in a sort of month and a half since that point. And there seems to be like a core user base now that's sort of using it regularly as their chat app, which is quite cool. What kind of features are you going to add for version two? Um, so, I mean, this would not be our normal way of releasing sort of having this big bang release months and months after the first one. So there's going to be a bunch of features coming in V2 and then, you know, we'll be sort of incrementally adding more and more and more. But sort of this month, hopefully, as I say, we're going to be launching, there'll be searchable public groups. So you'll be able to create groups that anyone can join and you'll be able to, and they're you know, completely discoverable and searchable for all. So you don't have to have a, we've got a sort of painful invite code mechanism at the moment. But in this case, yeah, public groups kind of built in from the start, as well as obviously private groups that we have at the moment. Message reactions. So kind of a la Slack, if you're familiar with that, where you can, and very well, and I guess Signal does it as well, doesn't it? Where you can, you know, you can use any emoji as a reaction to a message and then you can, you know, people can click on it again and sort of, you know, up the reaction count. Voice messages, be able to delete messages, markdown support. Wait, voice messages? So you're going to be storing actual audio? At this point, although we could come to that sort of live sort of audio chat, but sort of recording, you know, you'll be able to sort of hold the microphone button on, the, on open chat and record a short message, long message if you want, and send that. And then the yeah, recipient will be able to hear your message. Turns out to be incredibly easy to build that feature. And you say, though, that you'll also do live chat at some stage? Yeah, so I think possibly a fairly fast follow-on. We'll see how it goes. Like a two-way audio call to begin with and two-way video calls should be quite doable. And then potentially you know, small group calls as well. So as I say, we're, our front-end specialist, Julian, has been... Sort of temporarily commandeered onto, onto people parties. And he's sort of building the front end for that, which is basically involves sort of like a six person sort of live video stream. In building that, you know, we realized that actually, yeah, building audio calls and video calls should be quite doable. There's a long list of features, but I guess they get progressively less interesting. Things like markdown support, drag and drop, much bigger media like images and videos, unbounded users. I was just going to ask how you architect an application on the internet computer that can support this kind of stuff. Like, that's pretty heavyweight. Yeah, I mean, OpenChat is, V2 is quite a complex beast. So, let's say you've got a canister per user, and all of the sort of chats, all of the direct chats, that's the sort of one-on-one chats for a user are held on their user canister. So, Actually, in the case of user chats, the sort of chat is held twice, if you like. Between any two people, the conversation is held on both sides. 
on both canisters. And in the case of group chats, each group is held in its own canister. So in that case, you know, the whole group conversation is only held once on that group canister. It's not sort of held in each user's canister. Then there's the sort of, there's a user index canister, which holds a sort of, as you would expect, an index of all of the users, plus it, it links to all of the user canisters. And um, it sort of manages those canisters. So it's in charge of, so when we do a, an upgrade, if you need to upgrade the user canister, then we send an update call with the new user WASM, the sort of executable, if you like, to the user index canister, and then it will upgrade all of the user canisters. And it'll do that on a sort of rolling upgrade. Likewise, there's a group index canister, which holds an index of all the groups, and you can enable search of the public groups, but then yeah, it's also in charge of managing the lifecycle of all the group canisters. So we make use of a technology called WebRTC, which is kind of a peer-to-peer -peer sort of a protocol for sort of browsers to talk peer-to-peer. -peer. So when you send a message in OpenChat, it goes through the internet computer. There's a, an update call made to your own canister, or user canister, and then, then an update call from there to the recipient's canister. But in parallel, if both users are online, then we'll establish a WebRTC connection between the browsers and the message will also go immediately to the other user. So it's kind of got the best of both worlds. You get a like instant response and you know it's kind of it's all sort of backed up and synchronized through the internet computer as well. And we'll also be able to use the WebRTC for things like audio chat and video chat. Although there are still some centralized bits to open chat which over time I'd hope to be able to sort of do without. So there are things in WebRTC called stun servers, which are basically just used to work out what your IP address is externally. And that's not always necessary, but it's sometimes necessary if users are behind firewalls. So that's a little bit of centralized tech that we currently use. And there's also things, so things called turn servers, which are sometimes needed. But I think these can be run in the boundary nodes so it's not completely so yeah it's kind of somewhat centralized but but the boundary nodes themselves are this kind of dirty little secret of the internet computer that are a centralized component are they not yeah so i think that you know there is a vision to sort of for this to become decentralized but for the time being yeah there is a little <laughs> i guess this little dirty secret there's this you have to trust the boundary nodes at the moment who's running the boundary nodes I mean, Definity are running them. I mean, is it difficult for anyone to run a boundary node? Is that like a permission component? You're stretching my knowledge a little bit here. There are people that know far more about this than I do. I don't know for sure. I believe anyone can run a boundary node. The boundary nodes have caused this difficulty in the past. And there's something that we know very little about. I had a chat with Moritz Fuller about this, and he was very suspicious of those boundary nodes. And so I'm interested in digging deeper, but I'll get one of the foundation team to give me the lowdown at some stage. Yeah, I think that's probably best rather than me stumbling through an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me trying to explain the internet computer. No, I'm kidding. It's very slick, my explanation. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you feel the architecture that you're describing or you know, the way of realizing OpenChat that you're describing do you feel like you're figuring out a design pattern that we'll see repeated across a range of applications? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's going to be a, quite a common idea of having a canister per user. Now, it also is very application specific. 
the characteristics just seem to be working quite well for a chat app. To be honest, I haven't spent a huge amount of time thinking about how to build other apps on the internet computer. So I think we talked to sort of likes of Discover and District, and I think they could use some of the same techniques. But, you know, I do think a lot of the patterns we'll be using will be sort of widely applicable. The sort of way of doing upgrades, I think, is going to be, you can't obviously use DFX to sort of upgrade millions of canisters. You need to sort of automate that. You can also like have a hierarchy of canisters. So you'll have a, like a, your top level controller that everything goes through, and then there'll be a, next, a second tier below that. And we've got sort of, say, our user index, group index. So our notifications canister. There's a thing, a markers online canister. There are these sort of top level canisters. And then below that, there's a sort of, then this huge bank of, you know, of user canisters and group canisters. And you'll kind of upgrade at the sort of top level. You'll sort of make the change to the top and it will sort of propagate the changes out through the sort of tree. And likewise with topping up, you don't want to sort of top up your canisters sort of individually and you've got millions of them. You need to sort of, again, flow through this tree. So you'll top up just one canister with cycles and then it will, you know, that's automated processes to sort of keep those canisters that need more cycles sort of topped up. So, yeah, I think we would love to open source, open chat, in fact, and I think it would be quite a valuable resource for the community. And I, we will certainly be doing it with the advent of the SNS. It'll be kind of a requirement, which um, Dom's, I'll say, bullishly hoping for in January. This is still early days for the internet computer. There are some security concerns around canister to canister, into canister calls. So if you're calling from the browser, from the front end to a canister, then the story is pretty secure. But if you're calling canister to canister, then it's hard at the moment to know, you know, if it's a canister within your system, which is making the call, or if it's an external party sort of trying to cause mischief or whatever. You know, these are problems that are being worked on, and they're perfectly solvable problems as well. It's just it's a question of like a massive <laughs> to-do list for things like a computer and it's of limited resources. But I suppose the problem is we'd rather not open source it while we just kind of advertises the sort of endpoints that are available to call. So it's kind of security by obscurity at the moment. But having said all that, you know, we will be open sourcing it. And that I think will be useful to be able to share the sort of patterns that we're establishing um, and to learn from other people. So I have one more major question, and that is, you know, we've heard about this idea of using phone numbers as a spam prevention mechanism for open chat and other applications. Are you guys still considering allowing phone number verification for open chat? And actually, further to that, and this is the more interesting part, how would that even work? Okay, so this is going to be going out in V2. So V2 will have phone number verification. And in the first version, the only way you'll be able to create, you know, register a user on OpenChat is if you've got a verified phone number. So I'll explain how that works. I'm aware that some people aren't particularly happy about this idea. They worry that, you know, it's kind of goes against the sort of anonymity that you'd hope to be able to be completely anonymous and people worry that phone numbers can leak and, you know, there's a whole conversation around that which we could go into, but yeah, putting that aside, then because we also we won't be storing the phone numbers against the users, we'll only be storing a hash of phone numbers, which won't be linked to users, just to know if that's that phone number has been used already to register a user, so that you can't register more than one user with the same phone number. It's, it's to sort of try and prevent bots from creating accounts. 
We've seen a little bit on Open Chat, but we've seen, I think, more so in some of the other dApps. I guess what your thing is, how does this sort of internet computer send a message to a phone? Is that the... Yeah, actually, that's the real question, yeah. So there's always going to obviously be some off internet computer infrastructure necessary. You know, this is the mobile phone now. We're going to be able to communicate with that in some way. So there's always going to be interaction with the internet computer and the outside, you know, in the centralized world. At the moment, and the story around this will improve, so a user will go to OpenChat for the first time and they'll be asked to enter their phone number. This will then be stored temporarily in the user index canister. The message will be queued up to send in the user index canister. This process running off the internet computer, which is polling the user index canister, will get a batch of queued up SMS messages. It'll update its own state to, to indicate you know, what messages have been read and it will then send those SMS messages using, well, at the moment it's using AWS, it's using a, a thing called SNS, which is a queue. You can drop messages on this queue and they'll be sent as SMSs. And they're not too distant future. We've talked to the execution team and Definity about this, assuming uh, you know, the proposals all pass. And you'll be able to send HTTP messages from canisters. Well, we certainly hope this is going to be possible. Technically, it seems like it should be possible. So that from a, in two sort of ways, either from a query context, which is not really that relevant in this case, you could make an HTTP call from a canister and actually get back a response and, and perhaps return that as part of the sort of query response from a canister. In the case of an update context, you could make a, like a far and forget HTTP call. And, you know, in this case, you'd only want sort of one replica to make that. You know, you could use the random beacon to sort of randomly pick a replica to make a far and forget HTTP call. So this then can be used to sort of trigger the SMS we sent. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. No, I mean, it does. I'll listen to this back and make further sense of it. But it actually at least gets my head in the right place to start deciphering some of these more advanced features. Because, I mean, just the notion that any of this can be possible with an application that's predominantly hosted on a blockchain. I mean, it's worth pointing out, especially for the audience that are no and there's no point there where we require a centralized service to run open chat post phone number verification, right? It's just a centralized service is required for that phone number verification. Yeah, and, and then we will offer other methods going forward. I mean, like the sort of people parties concept, you know, you can imagine if your identity anchor has got a sort of good reputation from people parties, then you'd be able to registry on open chat and there are various other sort of ways that you could imagine doing that in a sort of decentralized way but yes other than this phone number verification at the moment all the centralized components could be stopped and it would still you know be a perfectly functional chat app well i think we've covered some pretty good ground here matt is there anything else that we should touch on before we wrap up i suppose there's something we haven't really touched on is the ability for open chat to send I guess we mentioned it a little bit, but to send cycles and ICP. And in the future, you know, there's sort of Bitcoin integration. You can imagine sending Bitcoin, and Ether. That's certainly a sort of feature that you're not going to get in the other chat apps. No, right. Especially not perfectly natively. And I suppose eventually it wouldn't be too hard to allow other tokens to be sent from OpenChat as well. Yeah, indeed. And NFTs as well. You could imagine sending NFTs by chat and you know, transferring ownership. Well, there are various other sort of fun scenarios you can imagine with NFTs. You can imagine sort of, you know, I suppose at the moment people think of them as these fairly 
they're characterized by sort of images mostly, but you know, NFTs can be much more than that. And you can imagine NFTs which can spawn other NFTs automatically and some fun and games to be had around that. One thing is actually we were hoping to have cycles and ICP, the ability to send them for launch of V2. We might well actually wait until SNS integration before we do that after all, because there are sort of financial you know, regulatory concerns around sending tokens like that. Right, absolutely, money transmission. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so while we're still centralised, you know, we're a, this team of three devs, we're kind of a target. <laughs> I'd say maybe waiting for the SNS is probably a good idea, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we kind of forgot that momentarily and then we're reminded that, yes, we could be vulnerable. I mean, to be honest, at the moment, we're not going to be on anybody's radar, I don't think. You know, it's still quite small scale, but uh, yeah, uh, they, you know, we have got the option of sort of uh, maybe making the feature available and then, you know, with the sort of potential to turn it off again if we get some heat, I suppose, before we, you know, actually run it as a sort of decentralized autonomous organization, a DAO, which the SNS will enable. Yeah. Oh, well, this is all really exciting stuff. And thanks for taking the time, Matt. Oh, it's a pleasure, Arthur. Good to talk to you. Well, I'll see you before too long over in Europe, I guess. Yeah, well, I hear you're moving to Switzerland for a while, so I'm planning a visit to Switzerland myself at some point, so yeah, maybe catch up then. Yeah, sounds good. All right, well, cheers. I'll see you then. Cheerio. Bye, Arthur. The Internet Computer Weekly has a sister newsletter featuring news, project updates, interesting tidbits and reading that come up over the course of the week. Together, they are part of a larger effort at ecosystem building we are calling the Cycle DAO. Visit cycledao.xyz to subscribe and learn more.